right, here we go. It is a brand new edition to episode 65 of uh, Stick to Hockey Live. Jason Martinez, Anthony DeMarco. Our schedules have been a little um, non-congruent, if that's a word, uh, the last yeah. couple of days. So we're going to do this one live here at, what, 931 Eastern? After and, dark. Uh, yeah, a little after dark. We got a little mood lighting. You're a little darker in the background there. So am I. I don't have the main light on. <laughs> so yeah. there's a lot to talk about. Um, first of all, I'm watching this. Carolina, New Jersey. I mean, Carolina is just feeding it to New Jersey. There's been some high-scoring games lately. Like these playoffs, yeah, and, bizarre. Yeah, I think the goaltending has been very unpredictable and volatile at times for a lot of teams. And like, how many teams yeah. have used multiple goaltenders? Like in the Eastern Conference specifically, I don't think there any of the four teams left have stuck with one goalie from the get-go. You look at Carolina, who's gone from Ranta to Anderson. I even think Kokachev, or no. uh, how do you pronounce that name? Yeah, he got in too. Yeah, he got in there. You saw no. uh, Schmid start or Vanacek start, then Schmid go in, and then Vanacek gets another crack at it. Obviously, Toronto's onto their third string. Joseph Wall is going to start next game after. And Murray's Lucent. a backup. <laughs> Murray's the backup, but I mean, Murray hasn't played a game in several months at this point, and he's yeah. the guy with the cup pedigree, and he's the third in line right now. And then obviously the resurrection of Sergei Bobrovsky and what's going on there. So the East specifically, I think, has really seen a lot of vol volatile goaltending. In the West, it's more, I would say, stable. Like you see Ottinger has been one of the better ones. Uh, even uh, Grubauer has finally got his head yeah. out of his ass after two seasons of really dull Not play. Edmonton, we saw Campbell because Skinner kind of fumbled a little bit, but then they went back to Skinner. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you see Edmonton, I think, is the one that you're kind of waiting for the shoe to drop. But I think Woodcroft has done a good job of just sticking with Stu Skinner. And Skinner has been one of the better goalies, I think, that Edmonton has had in quite some time. Like, obviously, Mike Smith had a couple of good runs, but, you know, at that age, it was a bet the, the house of cards was eventually about to fall. And I think Skinner has really stabilized that position for the first time in several years there, maybe since the early years of Cam Talbot, when they brought him in, I believe it was 2016-17 that they brought in Cam Talbot. Yeah. And what's weird about it is that they signed Jack Campbell to a $25 million contract, and the first year that he's there, the goaltending kind of stabilizes, but not from Jack Campbell. Yeah, it's so bizarre. Ken Holland's in in the shit again with a goaltender. Uh, and then we're <laughs> going to see what happens with uh, Brissat in Vegas and where that goes as well, because he left the game uh, last night hurt as well. So it, it's been unbelievable. Like, these playoffs are weird. I don't know who, who the favorite is. I mean, I guess Florida's right there. Ottinger has not been great like you expect them to be, but we'll see where it all goes. But obviously I think last the night, Panthers was, are the betting favorites right now, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And they should, they've earned it. Yeah, I mean, what's going to happen in Toronto. I, I think Toronto, if they get swept in the second round, that's worse than losing in the first round again. Well, and, and we've been talking about, yeah, well, we have, we've been talking about that. They haven't been to the second round since 2004 when they coincidentally played the flyers in yep. the, you know, the Jeremy Roenick uh, OT goal and I Sammy believe it was Kavanen. game six. Yeah, Sammy Kavanagh getting trucked by Darcy Tucker. But, you know, if they get swept, it's still going to be 19 years since they won a game in the second round. So to yeah. your point, I don't know if it's much better. Well, here's the thing. Like, you can go, okay, you can blame the GM because of the construction of the team, and that's valid. But yeah. you can also blame the coach. But star players got to be star players, and their top players have been shit. 
Yeah, like they've been crazy. shit in this second round of the playoffs. And and the crazy thing is, is that going back to I would say the bubble series against the Blue Jackets and then to Montreal and then Tampa last year, I think the biggest problem with the Leafs was their depth. Is yeah. that after those top two lines, and especially in the year when Tavares got hurt, I believe that was against the Montreal Canadiens, mm-hmm. that they really had no scoring and no offensive punch beyond those top three, four guys. And now Kyle Dubas does a hell of a job, in my opinion, heavy lifting. He brings in guys who have played well for the most part, like O'Reilly, Nola Chari has worked out well. Mm -hmm. Luke Shen has done well in the back end. Jake McCabe, I think, has struggled at times, but has checked the box and been the most, probably the most reasonable facsimile to Jake Muzzin that you could have gotten. But it's the top guys that haven't pulled their weight with Matthews and Marner and Tavares. And I think Nylander's been a bit better at times. But when you lock in 50% of your cap or almost of it to four of your forwards and they're not pulling their weight, especially when you've done such a good job in terms of bolstering your team's depth, I I have a hard time looking at Kyle Dubas on this one. Like Sheldon Keefe, obviously... Like, mm-hmm. and I've been critical of Kyle Dubas, but I don't know what more this guy could have done at the trade deadline. Yeah. I mean, the other guy that's we got to mention before we get to the NHL draft lottery last night is Leon Dreisaitl. I mean, Jesus, 13 goals in nine games, six in the first two games of the Vegas series. He's got 17 points in, in nine games. And I mean, they get him third overall, by the way. They have, they win the lottery four times in six years. They get Hall, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Nail Yakupov, and a couple of years, well, a couple of years after that, they draft third, they draft Dreisaitl, and they get McDavid in 2016, number one overall. I mean, to have that guy, I, he is unbelievable the way he can score. He's just got a, I think he's got just a hard shot to read or something. Yeah, and it's just crazy to see that Ekblad and Sam Reinhardt are the two guys that go behind him, or yeah. go in front of him, rather. And look, that's no slight against those players. I think they're both very good players, both coincidentally on the same team in Florida. But Dreisaitl is next level, and I think he's easy. Right now, he's the best player in the world. But I think overall, he's proven to be the second best player in the world. And the physicality he brings, like obviously he has some sh- defensive shortcomings. But when you're producing like that, he's yeah. well, probably one of, if not the best power play player in the NHL. But he's also producing at five on five too. Like, and he could play the wing. He could play center. He's very versatile. Like Edmonton, I think that obviously they have their hands full with Vegas and they should not look past Vegas. But... I don't know if they're going to have a better chance to get a shot at the cup here than this year, based on the way Dreisaitl's playing. McDavid hasn't been up to snuff, but I think he's he's playing hurt. That's the way it seems. Matthias Ekholm has done a really nice job fitting in on that team, stabilizing the back end alongside Evan Bouchard. Like I said, I think for the most part, Stu Skinner has done his job. I do like Jay Woodcroft as a coach, but you look at the Western Conference and specifically the Colorado Avalanche out of it, You know, if they could get by Vegas and then this is, you know, the Kraken are no slouches, ditto for the Dallas Stars, but I really don't know if they're going to have a better chance, the Oilers, that is, to really get a serious shot at the Stanley Cup here. Yeah, so that brings us to the NHL draft lottery because they're kind of like the case in point of, yeah, yeah, you want to win the lottery because you you can get the best player, you have the best chance of getting the most impactful player. And this is a generational draft with Bedard. I don't think Fantilli's generational. I think Bedard is. But like you look at, you know, what the Edmonton Oilers have done since 2010. They've won three playoff series. Now, really, that's since 2006, since they were in the cup final. 
Um, they, I think they've had six years since 2000 or seven years since 2010. They didn't make the playoffs. And that's with four number one overall picks and dry cycle. Like it's crazy what they've had. I mean, you look at their their winning percentage since 2006 is 497, 29th in the NHL. Yeah. Well, that's the reason why they landed at the top of the lottery so often. But, geez, it really hasn't paid off for them in a big way yet because I don't know if you can build a team when you're paying some, some of those guys just such big money, and especially in a flat cap world. And then you look at teams like Carolina where they didn't build it from the top of the draft. I mean, Eric Stahl was a, a number two overall pick there, and – Shvechnikov was the second overall pick, but Natchez was the 12th overall pick. Ajo's 35th overall. Hannafin, fifth overall. And, I mean, they had Elias Lindholm. They drafted him fifth overall. He's not there anymore. But And Skinner, obviously, they took early. but It took at seven. But, you know, the draft lottery, you know, a lot of people are crying, Ant, that the fix was in because of, A, two things. One, how the production of the – or the presentation went – because Kevin Weeks kind of jumped the gun a little bit and we thought that Columbus was picking third. It, all of that stuff was done in advance. It is a television event at that point. It's all yeah. done behind closed doors with a witness from each team and some media outlets. Rex Valley was actually one of them this year. And people go, well, oh, the fix is in. It's awfully, like Doug here said, awfully convenient that Chicago is blessed with another generational talent. And while it's probably good for the league in a lot of senses for him to go there because it's highly marketable and it's a big U.S. city, but do you think all the other witnesses of the actual execution of the lottery are just going to stay mum while another team gets handed another generational talent? No, it's not fixed. It's sometimes the math plays out, sometimes it plays weird. This time it didn't. Then they weren't. They didn't have the highest odds, but they had the second highest odds. Yeah, they had the third highest odds actually. Or they third, jumped, yeah, was, yeah, they jumped Columbus and uh, and uh, Anaheim. Anaheim. But look, like I, I was thinking that it was going to be Chicago all along, just because it felt like that was going to be the de- destination. And look, if you look at it from a business perspective for the NHL, of all the teams, and you could make the case Philadelphia to be honest, but of all the teams of let's say the top five, it made the most sense for Chicago. Yeah. Time time wise, you're not going to have him playing in you know california 10 p.m on most nights where the east coast can't see him like the problem that's going on with Connor mcdavid and leon dreisettle at this very moment in the playoffs you have an original six team a big market team a marketable team a marketable brand so that's why let's say it's more advantageous than a team like columbus and you have a team that has had a lot of stink surrounding it for 18 months or so a team that desperately desperately needed something positive in the words of p in public relations so across the board it checks a lot of boxes for the nhl do i think it's fixed i'm the kind of guy that doesn't really get mixed up in those kind of things do i think that it's it fell best case scenario for the nhl yeah of course i think that if they had their pick of the litter and they could strategically put Connor bedard in one place it would be chicago but i think like you said they did have the third highest odds and sometimes the lottery balls just bounce your way. And I'm sure even a guy like Car Bedard is kind of happy for where he landed because of the brand, because of the history of that team, save for what went on with Kyle Beach. Save for what went on with Kyle Beach, but from an on-ice perspective. But I mean, from an on-ice perspective, maybe Columbus would have been the best, you know, yeah. given the talent on that team, specifically up front, or maybe even uh, in Anaheim with Zegris and um who's the other, Troy Terry. But, mm-hmm. 
he's going to a team that desperately needs star power and a new cornerstone piece going forward. And he's certainly going to be that guy. Yeah. And, and we'll see, look, we'll see. It's going to come down again to them trying to build a team around him because they got rid of everything. Yeah. You know, Taves, you know, it's funny because Brian Smith tweeted this out from the Flyers and he said, had Jonathan Taves scored on that breakaway in overtime against the Flyers in game 82, they probably wouldn't have gotten Connor Bedard. <laughs> it's true. It's, true. <laughs> it, it's um, crazy how it works out like that. And yeah, it, it's just a couple percentage points that have things bounce your way. And in this case, it worked that worked out very much so for the uh, Chicago Blackhawks. How are they going to build a team around them? Because there's nobody there. Domi gone, Kane gone. Yes, Seth Jones is there, and they have a ton of money tied up in him. But I mean, Tyler Johnson at this point, you know, they, they really. I mean, you look at their roster. There, it is not, you know, any. It's a who's who of hockey players. It's n- not well-known names at all. They got a lot of work to do there. We'll see what they can do. But um, you know, people cry and fix. You got to talk to your your co-host on Brotherly Pod too. Like he's out of control. <laughs> your boy Dan, he's out of control i saw one tweet by me goes i can't believe we lost Bedard. we never had bedard you can't lose what you never had well i i think that he's know, emotional well, though yeah yeah the most <laughs> genuine guy that you could ever meet but almost to a point where like sometimes it gets but it's great content it's great content yeah, gotta calm them down you know talk them off the ledge we're, we're the yin to each other's yang. That's why it yeah. works out. But I mean, I, I, was I expecting the Flyers to win the lottery? No. I think they were a bit too far out chance. of it. <laughs> but you know what? They, but they're they're going to get a good player either way. Now, we could kind of run through who we think is going to be available at uh, number seven. I think that they're going to get a very good player. And you can make the case that the player that they're going to get this year and number seven is on par with maybe the guys who went in number in the top three last year. Like, yeah. I think it's still way too early to talk about like who was the best player of last year's draft. But I think at this point, people, most people would say Logan Cooley was probably the best player to go if they could do a way too early redraft of 2022. And I think that one of the guys the Flyers get at, or the guy that they ultimately choose in number seven could be just as good as a guy like Logan Cooley. So, I mean, even though it's number seven in this year's draft, it is kind of like being in the top three of five. You know, it's interesting because there's a, there's a couple of variables that are in play. We know that Bedard's going one. We know Fantilli's going two. When we get to three, we're not, we start to lose a little focus. We're not really sure exactly where Columbus is going to go. And I've gotten all kinds of DMs and tweets from people saying, could the Flyers trade up to number three? What if the guy tweeted me or DM me and said, why don't you trade, they should trade Kevin Hayes uh, let me let me get exactly what he put up here. I'm like, would you do that deal if you were the GM of Columbus? That's what, that's the way you got to look at a proposal of a deal. He goes, Hayes, pick seven, and Allison in a future pick, but not a first, to move up to three for Columbus for Leo Carlson. Been rumors of Hayes wanting to go there and also have too many right-wingers and need to trade one. First of all, Allison doesn't have any league-wide value. Hayes is upside down. He's like a car that's upside down on, on how much you owe. <laughs> and... You know, if you're Yarmo Kekalainen, are you making that deal? No. Fuck no. No chance. No you're fine. chance. You're going to your death. I, and I, I do think it's going to be Leo Carlson for them. It just mm. it makes a lot of sense. That's a team that needs a top-line center long-term, and I think Carlson very much checks that box. I think things start to get interesting when you get to number four. That's mm. where San Jose, in my opinion, is going to kind of determine how all the chips fall. If I was a betting man, I think they're going to take Will Smith. 
that's the guy I think. I, I think Mitch Cobb is going to follow the top five, in my opinion, based on people I've spoken to. I do think he ultimately ends up in Arizona. And this is my way too early draft projections. But I think that you're going to see Will Smith and maybe Dalibor Dvorsky go before Mitchkov. And so I Dvorsky look at the Montreal. Montreal. Yeah, I, I think Montreal is going to take Smith or Dvorsky. And this is just, again, way too early draft projections. But I just look at what they need. And you see that maybe long term you want a number two center or just to play in tandem with uh, Nick Suzuki. And, you know, Kirby Doc has shown that he could shift to the wing. You have Cole Caulfield, and those are both right shot guys. And I believe both Dvorsky and Will Smith are left shot guys. So, like, maybe you get someone to offset Nick Suzuki, who's also a right shot. And Michkov, I think that, you know, he's, he's a generational talent. A lot of people have said to me, I've had one scout say pass at him at your own peril and that a lot of teams are going to convince themselves not to take him. But then I look at Arizona and I look at the situation they're in and you see last year that they take Logan Cooley, they take Connor Geeky or Morgan Geeky, one of the two, I think it's Morgan. Um, you, they had another first round pick. And then this year they have the sixth overall pick and they have the 12th overall pick. So that's a team based on how much they've drafted and how much they are going to continue drafting in the higher rounds that could afford to roll the dice on a major talent like Matvey Michkov. And again, are they going to be good within the next two years? Probably not. And theoretically, they're going to have a brand new arena just in time when Michkov's AKHL contract expires. So in my base again in my way too early predictions i think and it matthews makes a comes lot of, as well <laughs> yeah and matthews comes as well it makes a lot of sense that he's going to fall to the arizona coyotes because i think the sharks and the um the canadians are going to go with centerman presumably smith and Dvorsky, and and you're going to see meach fall in the lap of the coyotes and i think that's some that's i think that's an organization that could afford to take that risk on mitch based on what they've already drafted yeah, and, and that's part of the equation. And, you know, you got to look at, like, the Flyers, I don't think, are, are really a fit there because they don't draft again until the third round. And if, if things did blow up and he doesn't end up coming over or whatever he ends up coming over, you know, you can't come out of this with nothing. You're not in a position to incur any of that risk. You know, there's another element in the top 10 of the draft that I think is really interesting too, Ant, and it's this, is all the top, the top nine, basically, ranked players are all forwards. Reinbacher's yeah. like the first D. So I, I think general managers get in this sense. I'm going to have to ask Danny Breer about this the next time I get him on. Um, you know, you get this, would I rather take the fifth ranked forward or the number one ranked D man? You know what I mean? Yeah. I think you get to a point where you got to go, okay, I got to consider that because, you know, you look at the, the importance of and value of a defenseman. So I think that that could, could really kind of change the course of the top 10 in some way as well. Reinbach could move up. So we'll see how that plays out. You know, one of the names in, in Bob McKenzie's mock draft, uh, he's got the Flyers at seven, taking Ryan Leonard from the USNTDP. And yeah. you know, he can, he can, he's a good 200 foot player. I know people don't want to hear that, but he can score. Um, he is, he has, his, you know, his stock is on the rise, if you will, kind of like, you know, Will Smith, who had a great U18s. Uh, so, I mean, if you end up with a player like, you know, Ryan Leonard, got to feel pretty good about that. He's a right winger and you got a lot of players there, but uh, you can use those players as organizational equity. 
Yeah, no, uh, I he's a player that one person with the Flyers mentioned to me, and I think they like by the way. <laughs> yeah, no, the BC's loaded. You have Will Smith going there. You have Leonard going there. I believe there's an is it Wood? I believe Matthew Woods going there. So I, Leonard is a guy that they also one person told me with the Flyers that they believe he could be a center. So yeah, he's played I, a little bit of center too. Yeah. So I think that Leonard's a guy. Like this is again, this is it's way too early. They have a lot of work to do, but I think if if I had to do a ranking, I think Will Smith is their guy. I don't think Smith is going to get to them. And then after that, I think they really like Dvorsky, but I also don't think Dvorsky is going to get to them. And obviously I'm not including like the top three guys of uh, Carlson, Bedard and Fantilli, because we know they're going to yeah. go in the top three. But uh, I I think that after Dvorsky and Will Smith, Ryan Leonard would be a guy that they would look hard at because they think that he could be a center because you have guys like Benson, you have guys like Oliver Moore, but I, I just, I know that they're going to say best player available, and I do believe that to a certain extent, but I really do get the sense off of what I've heard that they would like to get a guy that could project as a center. And look, you can't draft based on positional needs, but in a situation like this, like I don't think between Benson and Leonard and Moore, there's like a number one guy who's head and shoulders butt above the rest. I just, again... A lot can change between now and the end of June. I just think Ryan Leonard would be their guy if Dvorsky and Will Smith aren't on, on the board. Yeah, there's a little more value added when the guy can play both wing and move to the middle. So a little bit yeah, of versatility 100%. that gives you a little. And look, when you're building a team, like look at all these, you know, the teams left in the playoffs and, and the teams that win cups. They're all built with a good back end and good up the middle. You got to be good yeah. up. The, you got to have good center depth at all four lines or you're not going to go anywhere. You have to be strong at that position. And the Flyers have some big question marks there, obviously with Couturier and, you know, it's Morgan Frost. Can he repeat the second half of last season and, and grow on it? There's a lot of question marks there. So, you know, having a pivot and Cutter Gauthier, a guy who's going back to BC this year, going to play uh, with him there. Um, they think that maybe he can be a center at the NHL level too. We'll see. We'll see how that plays out. Um, it's, it's a big responsibility uh, to play that at the, at the NHL level. You know, one of the other things, you know, you hear a lot about, like, Doug tweets in or messages in and says a lot. He says, it's frustrating to win meaningless games while other organizations were actively tanking. Tanking, while frustrating, at least is a step in the right direction. I totally disagree with you, Doug. I think tanking is a step in the wrong direction a thousand times a day. I, I know a lot of people think I'm an idiot for saying that, but it's just my belief. He said, that unless the Flyers change course in the front office, which they have, i.e. the boys club will be stuck in limbo of hovering around 500 and maybe making the playoffs only get eliminated in round one. Well, look, let, let's talk about the front office because, you know, it looks like I know you're reporting that perhaps Danny Briere will have the A, the interim tag removed this week and we'll get some movement on the president of hockey operations or some closure to that. First and foremost, I want to ask you about tanking. You know, Doug says it's frustrating to win meaningless games while other teams are actively tanking. What's your position on it? Uh, I've never been a believer in tanking because I think that anyone who has played any form of competitive sports knows that losing sucks and it An wears infection. on you. It, it's it's very, very unfortunate. And I, I use the Buffalo Sabres, a team that actively tried to tank to get first off Aaron Ekblad and then second off Connor McDavid. And they still walked away with back-to-back -back second overall picks, Sam Reinhardt and Jack Eichel, who are two pretty good players. And then you, 
<laughs> yeah, and then you have another top 10 pick in 2010. I believe they took Alex Nylander, who was a flop. You get a first round, a first overall pick in 2021. You get a first overall pick in 2018. And now finally things are starting to turn around. But you are looking at close to a decade there of darkness of the Buffalo Sabres, where you had two um, second overall picks, two first overall picks, an additional top 10 pick. And what did it get them? And look, we're saying that everybody wanted to get out of there. Ryan O'Reilly was like, I I can't do it. You got to get me out of here because it it wears on players. And and they still like we're saying like, oh, they're turning a corner. But they were still like not even the ninth seed in the Eastern Conference. They finished the 10th, I believe. So they still haven't even made the playoffs. So you have to be very, very careful with wishing for tanking. Like you'll eventually get there when you tank enough and you get as much talent on your roster. I think you eventually will just inherently turn a corner because talent will prevail. But 10 years almost. So I think it was eight years in Buffalo that it was really, really bad. And look how much, how many management regimes, you know, you go from Terry, uh, who was it? Terry Murray or um, not Terry Murray. Murray. That was the only coach of the Flyers. No, it was uh, Tim Murray. That's it. The other team. Then you go to Jason Botterhill. Now you're on to Kevin Adams. I think they ran through five or six coaches you know, the, you had to turn over a core. Like, you went from a core of Ristolainen, Eichel, and Reinhardt, and now you've turned it over to the next one. Like, you went right through them. So, I mean, yes, does tanking maybe seem good on paper? Sure, but there are a lot of examples. Look at even Edmonton. How yep. many times and how many years did it take Edmonton tanking and tanking and tanking? Like, you, them too, you're looking at seven, eight years of just routinely getting high picks and then eventually they figured it out. But even at that, like they're not a like they still haven't won, won a three playoff series since 06. Yeah. So I mean, look, That's eventually one more than the Flyers have won since 2012. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, look, I, I, I don't like tanking. I get why people like it. The idea because you end up with that star player who at least makes the product enjoyable to watch. So I get that. But I don't think tanking is the best option to try and, you know, to try and set as a goal to become a cup contender. And like we were talking a bit about it off the air. And I look at the LA Kings as a very attainable model as to how you build a team without getting that one star studded player in the draft at the top of it. And yes, well, that's not fair to say you get Dowdy second overall, you get Kopitar 11th overall but they never once won the first overall pick and drafted that generational talent. Yeah. Although Dowdy is a guy just to control the game from the back end playing so many minutes. You know, I, I look at, I mean, if you want, maybe this isn't achievable, but the team I look at obviously is Tampa because they do get a number one overall pick in Stamkos, I think in 08. Yeah. And then in 09, they have a number two overall pick and they get Hedman. So they yeah. got their star scorer up front leader in Stamkos. They got Hedman to just anchor that D then they draft Vasilevsky 19th overall. They draft Kucherov. What was Kucherov? Kucherov was exactly. 58th overall. Braden point was taken in the third round in 2014. And then yeah. you got your Palats and your Kalorn and all those guys along the way. And they trade for McDonough, but that team had all the success that they did the last couple of years because they had tremendous depth too. 
I think they had an advantage because they're in Florida. They don't have to pay guys as much because of the income tax deal. But they had, they had a team that was capable of winning. They drafted – yeah, the Trevor just said it. Drew Ann was at number three, I think. Yeah, in 2013. Yeah, in the McKinnon yeah. year. And they took – But they parlayed Kuku. him into Sergachev. Yeah, exactly. Another core D-man for him. You know, they took Brett Connolly number six in 2010. But, you know, Stamkos had been and, and the way they drafted and built. But, you know, not every team is going to be able to find a Kucherov in the second round and a Braden Point in the third round. But you look at, I'd look at teams like Carolina. You know, they took Svechnikov second overall. They got Ajo 35th. He's their yeah. best player, right? Yeah. You know, they, they move on from Dougie Hamilton, who was originally drafted by Boston. You know, yeah. Boston's a team. Look how they're built. They have a number one overall pick there. It's Taylor Hall. He was drafted by Edmund in 2010, but they drafted Sagan second overall. He's not there anymore. They drafted Dougie Hamilton ninth overall. He's not there anymore. They get Pasternak 25th. They get McAvoy 14th. So this notion that the Flyers are going to get a mucker and grinder at seven in this draft is, I think it's just a little bit fatalistic. And I understand people are emotional. They wanted to move up and get Bedard and get the, the, guy, the marquee player, but you're going to get a good player in this draft. Well, you're going to get a good player and, I think this is probably the best draft since 2015, the McDavid draft. Mm. And you, I believe number eight in that draft was Miko Rontanen. And I mean, if you have a Miko Rontanen on your team, I think you're in business here. And look, that we're way off. Like, this is way premature to say the Flyers are going to get a player of Miko Rontanen's caliber at number eight. But I don't think you need a generational talent to win. It certainly helps. But I don't think you need the generational talent. And I look at the the LA model, and Doughty at one time was one of the best defensemen in the NHL. Kopitar was one of the best centers in the NHL. Jonathan Quick was one of the best goaltenders in the NHL. You need that high-end talent. But were any of those guys generational players? I mean, I would say no. I think the best at their very, very peaks was probably Doughty on the back end and how he controlled it. But I mean... You're going to have to work and hope you can develop a guy who gets to that number one defenseman level status. And then is it out of the realm of possibility that a Cutter Gauthier or whoever you're taking seventh overall this year could get to an Anzi Kopitar type level? Not an exact replicate, but, you know, Kopitar was drafted 11th overall, so it's completely possible. And then you look at guys from like Dustin Brown, I think he was 13th overall. Braden Shen was fifth overall, one time the high, the most highly touted prospect in the NHL. I remember people were referring best to player him as not the best player not being in the NHL. <laughs> exactly. There you go. That was what it was tied to. And they parlay him into Mike Richards. They parlay Jack Johnson plus a first round pick into Jeff Carter. They bring in some veterans like Robin Regeer and Willie Mitchell on the back end, Matt Green as well back there. You know, they were a team that was built on high-end talent, but they weren't built on generational talent. They weren't yeah. built, save for Drew Doughty, on top five level talent in terms of draft selection. So, I mean, it's not an entirely far-fetched uh, like scenario where the Flyers could still build a cup contending team this way, but you have to get it right. You have to score big on some of those later round picks. And you're looking at a guy like, obviously again way too early here but a den that he could maybe be a serviceable solid bottom sixer in the nhl and he's a fifth round pick that's what the flyers really have to hit on here especially in this year's draft where you have you're missing that second round pick i think this is again a, a hunch of mine 
I think they're going to find a way to get either an additional first round pick or a second round pick here. I think that's what they're really going to try and angle with Ivan Provorov, in my opinion. But, I mean, you have two third-round picks. You have two fourth-round picks. This is the big year where you're really going to get a shot here to score big in those later rounds. If you want to get back into the first round, who's a team that would fit for Ivan Provorov? Are you looking, you know, somewhere around, you know, is Calgary a fit, Nashville at 15? I don't know if you're going to get 15th overall from Nashville, but Detroit, I mean, me, it's uh, Winnipeg. It's Winnipeg, Winnipeg. 19th overall. Uh, I I think it's Winnipeg for several reasons. One, Winnipeg can't rebuild. Like their CEO, Mark Chipman, a letter went out. It was in one of their, I I wish I could cite the proper journalist who wrote it, but there was an article coming out of Winnipeg that they are really lacking in season ticket sales. And that's a team that's already been relocated once. So that's a market that I don't think you're going to be entertaining a rebuild in. Second of all, Another team that has shown interest in Ivan Provorov in the past, I think it was Anthony Sanfilippo who brought it up that they offered Patrick Line for Ivan Provorov back in 2020. That's a team that could use a good left shot defenseman to play on the second pair behind Josh Morrissey, presumably to pair with Neil Pionk long term. Thirdly, Rick Bonus, the defensive whisperer. You yeah. saw how he developed guys, uh, most notably Miro Heiskanen in Dallas, and what he did with Josh Morrissey this year. And I think that Ivan Provorov maybe going there less quieter, a more quiet market, and you could maybe see him thrive in a lesser role, playing as the number two D behind Morrissey and on the second pair um, in total. And I think that that's a team that has what maybe what the Flyers are looking for. Like I've reported recently, well, they're, they're going to wish you had a contract too. Are they going to try and saddle you with Blake Wheeler? I mean, I, I've asked them with the Flyers about Blake Wheeler. I, I don't think it's very appetizing to them because you're making, like he makes a big chunk of dough. I think if they're willing to take back Ryan Ellis and the Flyers can't find a better a better player for Ryan Ellis or not even better player, just a better fit. Right. Like I I think something like Ellis for Tyler Myers is exactly something they would like because Mm -hmm. he checks that box of right shot defenseman, which they're just in a constant search for and maybe could pair with a Cam York or Travis Sanheim for at least the next season and parlay him into a draft pick. And he makes less than Ryan Ellis on paper. I think uh, Blake Wheeler makes 2 million more than Ryan Ellis. So it would, I don't think it's the most appetizing option, but I do think it's something that they would maybe consider if they, if that is the only option to, um, to alleviate themselves from the Ryan Ellis contract. And the problem is with Blake Wheeler too, he's got no trade clause. So you have to waive it to come here. And he's a right wing. Yeah. Which I mean, I mean, look, you could bring in Blake Wheeler and play him on the fourth line with Nick. He's not waving to do that though. Uh, I mean, I I don't think so, but at the same time, it's gotten really bad in Winnipeg. Like yeah. him and Bonus were chucking daggers at each other at yeah. the or chucking darts at each other at the end of the the um, the series where they kind of got embarrassed by the Vegas Golden Knights. But I, I I don't know if Winnipeg is going to give up a 19th overall pick for Ivan Provorov, but at the same time, that's a team that has a hard time attracting players. Yeah. And if you want to get back into the playoffs right away. And you presumably want to do that in part by bolstering your second pairing. I don't know if there's a better defenseman out there on the market than Ivan Provorov. So if you have to part with a first round pick and maybe 
a third round pick or what have you, whatever the deal may be. But the biggest piece coming back is that 19th overall pick. Maybe they do it because of the market, because of the predicament they're in, because Provo's a guy that they've shown uh, interest in the past, and because what Rick Bonus has been able to do with other young defensemen in the NHL, maybe that's a guy that they take a leap of faith on in Ivan Provorov, and that leap of faith maybe comes in the 19th overall pick. Yeah, and obviously Provorov's a, a guy that Shovel Dayoff has kept has kept an eye on for a number of years. Yeah, and if they're going to you know commit to Halibut long term going forward, one of the best goalies in the league too. Uh, they're not going to rebuild because they got a lot of the pieces they I think they feel like and, the, and they can't afford to do it in the market. Uh, let's talk about the president of hockey ops. Now that the NHL draft lottery is in the rear view, I know you've been, uh, you've had a lot of reporting on different names that have come up. You know, we talked about Eddie Olchek last week from a forward facing standpoint. Um, you know, obviously he's a name that may be in the mix here. Um, you've mentioned Cami Granado. Um, any new names to add to the mix? And how do you feel like this is going to resolve itself in this? And will it be this week? I think it's going to be this week. If I had to take a guess, uh, an educated guess, I would say it's probably Friday. That seems when the Flyers like to do their news dumps are on Friday, but I, I'm pretty sure it's going to be this week. And even Elliot Freeman has alluded to that. He did it again today on the Jeff Merrick show on 32 thoughts earlier in the week or late last week. So I think we're going to get a resolution this week. As I tweeted yesterday, I think it's going to come in concert with the official appointment of Danny Breer as the permanent general manager, which is the, which will come to the surprise of nobody. Um, but one thing that is different now is that I, I'm fairly certain that Danny Breer is now involved in the in process. The process. Yeah. I think that he has finally been brought back into the loop. And I think that his involvement may have changed some things. Um, you know, earlier in the day, I was led to believe, and I was hearing this last week, that maybe Eddie Olchek did have the inside track. But then speaking with someone... I was told that he shouldn't be looked at as the favorite. So I, I'm wondering now that now that Danny Breer is involved in this and he's the only hockey guy finally being brought in on the flyer side of things, as opposed to just, you know, Billy King and Val Camillo and Dan Hilferty, who were maybe wowed by an Eddie Olchek. Maybe now that you have a hockey brain in there and Danny Breer, he's looking at it and saying, well, we need more than just a front man. We need more than just a good communicator with the fans. We need someone who could help on the hockey side of things. I'm not sure who the front, who the front runner is at this point. It sounds like Doug Wilson to me. That that's, that's kind of like what I'm looking at. Like I, because of the shift now, since Danny Breer has been involved and what I've heard, and this is kind of me piecing things together. It feels that now that Danny Breer is involved in there, they're focusing more on what someone could bring to the hockey side of things, which I think is needed. Like Absolutely. I like Eddie Olchek, but are you just going to bring him in here to be a PR guy? And I think you need more than that. And if you need more to that, Doug Wilson checks a lot of boxes. Yeah. I mean, look, he was a GM for a very long time. He built some great Sharks teams. Yeah. They didn't win the cup, but boy, they were a team that was built the right way for a long, long time. Just never able to get over the hump, got to the one final. So um, yeah, we'll see how this kind of resolves. I think it's important though, that, you know, Danny, every GM, in all sports, has got their right-hand man. Who's his right-hand man going to be? You know, Hextall had Chris Pryor, ran his draft, yeah. and those two were you bonded at the hip. Where you saw one, you saw the other for the most part. You know, with Brent Fla or excuse me, Chuck Fletcher, it was Brent Flair. Now, Brent's still here, but a lot of GMs, like, take jobs. There's a lot of coaches that have, like, one assistant that goes with them everywhere. Like, you know, Peter Lovey, Led had his guy. They all have one guy that goes with, like, Brad Shaw goes with torts. 
you know, who's Danny's right hand man going to be? Who's the guy that can say, Danny, I think you're wrong about this. You got to look at it from this side. Like that's when you heard names like Shane Doan in the beginning or Ray Whitney. Okay. Those are guys that he played with. And I think he can have those conversations. Yeah. Mike Sullivan is, Trevor points out with torts in the early days was they were attached, right? Yeah. Who's Danny's right hand man? Who's the guy that can tell Danny? I don't, I think you got to look at this again. It's very early to say, but based on whispers, I've heard, it feels like that could be Alan McCauley in the grand scheme of things. Like I reported, I think it was over a month ago now that it felt like McCauley had the inside track on the GM job of the Phantoms eventually. And obviously they haven't uh, named one yet. They will eventually, but I'm still led to believe that he is the current favorite, but I'm sure they're doing their due diligence around. I, I, I've heard that Danny Breer is high on Alan McCauley. I do think Brent Flair is very much in line with Danny Breer's thinking, but I don't know if he'll be his right-hand man. I'm not sure that Brent Flair will be the second-in-command in hockey ops when this restructuring is all said and done. Maybe he's going to be focusing more on just overseeing the scouting and all that. I mean, we have heard that there may be an additional hire just the president of hockey ops. Elliot Friedman reiterated that as well. There's one name that was floated out to me over the weekend, but I'm not comfortable enough saying it officially yet, but I will say that it's a, an assistant general manager for a, for a, a Metro division team. And he has the reputation kind of a, a capologist. Again, I don't want to say the name because I'm not sure if it's, uh, if he's actually in it or if it could have just been for lack of better words, a bad leak. But the name I heard is a current AGM for another Metro team and has the reputation of a capologist. So I wonder if that name does officially surface or if I can get some better clarification on it. Again, Elliot Friedman reiterated this on 32 Thoughts, but he thinks that maybe Kami Granado will be brought in in a different capacity or maybe another name as a diversity hire. I do believe that they want Kami Granado to be brought in maybe in a vice president role. And it, and it makes me wonder about what the future of Barry Hanrahan is. We do know one of the big focuses of Comcast in this president search has been about maybe being more prudent as far as the salary cap is confirmed is concerned. And obviously, Barry Hanrahan has overseen that for uh, well over a decade at this point. Yeah. I mean, he's kind of at the beholden to what the GM wants to do, but yeah. the structure and all the details and stuff. That's that's what... What, what he'll handle he knows that stuff like the back of his hand he was actually the first guy in the nhl to ever exploit ltir with rathji yeah with mike rathji yeah that's what I remember. Yeah. yeah so i i mean it's going to it, it's it, it's going to really be interesting how it all shakes out i like i said i do think we're going to get some clarity on this by the end of the week it's just it seems that Danny Breer's involvement now has really kind of shifted, Maybe shifted things, things. Yeah. and and for good reason. Like you know, I was talking to one person about this last week, and I said, you know, I I think one of the things that's complicating this is that there's not one hockey person in there, and the response I got was, "That's the scary part," because yeah, you, you need to, yeah. And look, Billy King, very smart guy. I'm sure Val Camillo and Dan Hilferty are very smart people. The the coaching agency they brought in. I, I'm nothing against those guys, but you sometimes have to know what someone's going to bring to the hockey side of things. After all, it's the president of hockey operations. And yes, you want to be a good communicator. Yes, you want to have a good business plan. Yes, you want to have ideas about how to market a brand. All very important things. 
but you still have to know what to bring on the hockey side of things. And that's when I heard today that Eddie Olchik should not be looked at as the favorite when maybe he was being looked at that before Danny Breer's involvement. It leads me to believe that maybe Danny Breer went in there and said, well, you know, it's all good that Eddie brings this, that, and the other, but maybe a guy like, to your point, Doug Wilson brings some things that maybe not as good as a communicator, maybe not as good as the way of, you know, a PR or can't give as good a speech, but you look at his hockey track record, maybe that's something that Danny Breer could lean on much more than Eddie Olchek. Yeah, I mean, frankly, Danny's a good forward-facing guy, though, too. He's a great communicator. Exactly. So I, I think he can – look, they don't want him burdened with that load, I'm sure. Uh, but, I mean, you got to get the right guy in here to, to be able to build this thing effectively and be able to evaluate talent. You know, building a team in today's NHL with 32 teams, it's not the old league where, well, everybody makes the playoffs, 16 of 21 teams. Half the league makes it, half doesn't. And, you know, finding depth is harder now than it ever is because there's so many more players in the league, right? And there's – so you're picking from a much bigger pool to fill all those roster jobs, the 50 contract. And when you look at it, the league is about building three ways. You have to build, A, the pieces on the ice have to fit. Players, skill sets, you know, with the coach and all that stuff from an execution of the actual game. That has to fit. Then you have to have the off-ice component of professionals and culture and all those things that have to fit off the ice and accountability and all these little catchy words that are thrown around, that I tend to throw around. And then the other part of it is the puzzle of fiscal of the finances is no easy task either. All three of those things, if you have one of those links that's weak, you are donezo. They all got to be buttoned up. That's why you got to find the right group. Yeah, and you know, like one name that surfaced on Friday was Chris Pronger. And one thing I heard over the weekend was that Pronger wanted full autonomy on hockey ops. And maybe that's why it wasn't going to work out here in Philadelphia. So maybe you got to find something the best of both worlds where you want a guy that could help in hockey ops, but not someone that's completely detached from it. And maybe old chicks more of column B and uh, Doug Wilson and Pronger's more of column A, but maybe a Doug Wilson is somewhere in the middle. It, it just, you know, I, I know that they want a good liaison between all parts of the organizations and help with the communication and the business side and the marketing and all that. But you look at maybe what Danny could learn from an executive it just really feels like doug wilson's the guy yeah and then, and that and that's more speculative at that point like i haven't heard one way or the other if he's the favorite he has been consistently tied to this job but it just feels like that's the exact type of guy that you'd be looking for in this scenario yeah and we'll wrap up with this i, I think one of the other things that's really important at and is this is that this offseason there's some deals that are gonna be made we mentioned Provorov and winnipeg and Obviously, Kevin Hayes, and I got a message earlier, the tweet's been taken down that Kevin Hayes' property is on the market to be sold, and he knows he's out of here. And certainly by his end-of-season practice conference, um, he seemed resolute to the fact that his days as a flyer are over and he's moving on in the offseason, settled here by the draft. But these deals that are made this summer, you know, a first-time GM, there's a lot of other GMs around the league coming to Danny saying, Danny, let me help you out. Let me do you a favor. I'm not there to do you a favor. They're coming with a smile but they're there to, to rob you blind or crush you in a deal. I think Danny recognizes that, that the competitive nature of this thing from, you know, off ice, but you, you can't go, we want to get rid of Hayes. And there is a tipping point where you can't 
just get crushed in a deal. You can't. And because I, and that's I think a reputation Andrew, beginner for him. And I think Breer's well aware of that. Like, I, I think agree. Comcast was fully prepared to give Danny Breer the keys to the kingdom and give him carte blanche. And maybe in some capacity, in some ways, it, it chased off a lot of good, uh, a lot of good uh, candidates like Ray Shiro or Chris Pronger. But then when Danny Breer gets involved now, maybe he can go in and be like, whoa, 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 guys, like, thanks for the confidence and all this, but I still need someone that I can learn from, someone I could lean on, someone who could show me the tricks of the trade. Because it's let's be honest, yeah. he's only been in a prominent role in an NHL front office for 15 months now. And this, and I think he's going to be a hell of a GM. Like, there's no reason to doubt Danny Breer to this point. Hell, he hasn't even really started yet. He was appointed GM after the uh, the trade deadline when there was really no heavy lifting to do. But I mean, I, I think that he's a smart enough guy to know that he could do that. He could learn a lot from a seasoned veteran like a Doug Wilson. And of all the guys that have been consistently tied to the role. I think he's the one that would stand the best in that role to help Danny Breer along the way, because even to Scott Mellonby, like I think Mellonby has done a hell of a job as an AGM, but he's never, never been, been an agent. Yeah. He's never been a GM. He's yeah. always answered to someone like you need someone like in a perfect world that has really steered the ship as the alternate decision maker and done so with success. And yes, the Sharks did not win a cup, but they were one of the league's best teams for a decade. And he I think that the Joe Thornton deal, I mean, some, some big deals. Yeah. You know, he brought Brent Burns to uh, San Jose too, mm -hmm. you know, like he made a lot of shrewd deals out in San Jose. And I mean, it just, and again, this is more like just kind of piecing things together. Like I haven't heard one way, Doug Wilson, but the fact that Eddie Olchek in a span of a couple of days went from someone telling me that he should believe he looked at as the favorite to now he's not the favorite and how it kind of aligns with now Danny Breer's involvement. It leads me to believe that maybe now finally having a hockey guy in there, i.e. Danny Breer has helped Comcast maybe see some of the more needed points that they should be tackling. Yeah. To, to build a team that can yeah. win something. And I think Billy King was involved to kind of go through the, to streamline the process of identifying proper candidates and all those things. I don't think he was picking like, Hey, this guy's a good hockey guy or that guy's not a good hockey guy. That's not Billy, but anyway. Um, all right, let's wrap it up there. And um, a lot of great stuff. We'll keep following uh, to, to get the latest on the president of hockey ops and the structure of the uh, front office as that breaks maybe this week. Um, we'll see if it plays out and uh, we'll be bringing you uh, our updated thoughts and opinions on that as well. Read Ant's stuff on the fourth period.com. Follow him on Twitter at a DeMarco 25. And that wraps up episode 65 nighttime edition of the Stick to Hockey Live show. Everybody, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Uh, leave us a five-star rating and review, and we'll talk to you next time on Stick to Hockey Live. Have a great night.